Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was almost 44 years ago. It was in the fall of 1979 that I was about to find out that he was the way. My life was a wreck, and to say that my marriage was in chaos would have been a massive understatement. I remember walking out the door of our house. I had two suitcases in my hand, and the aluminum screen door brushed off the back of my shoulder and rattled in this place. And I thought, the only thing that's important to me is behind those two, that door, my wife and my two kids. I was moving out. Someone suggested to me that I should maybe go talk to a pastor. Now, I grew up, I went to Sunday school, so I had an idea that God had the answer. Problem was, I didn't know what the question was. So I went and uh, met with that pastor. Uh, I wanted to tell him the woes of my life and the crisis in my marriage. And he said to me, after listening for a while, he said, Fred, just as you are estranged from your wife, you are estranged from God. And what God would want is for you to give up control of your life and let him take control of your life. Let him rule and reign in your life. I told him, well, I screwed things up pretty much so far, so I think that's a good idea. And so I received Christ. And then it wasn't long that Debbie also met with that pastor, and she received Christ. And we were reconciled to God, and then we became reconciled to each other. I love the Bible because it teaches me the way of life. Jesus is the way. A strange thing happened in the weeks and the months and the years that followed that. When we heard or read the Bible, we actually understood it. God gave us his spirit so that we could, under, we could hear what he was saying. We got very involved in the church, Bible studies, um, and eventually, two years later, uh, we went off to Multnomah Bible College. I served down in a church down in Vancouver as a youth pastor and associate pastor until 1987 when we returned to our home church. And uh, two years later, the pastor had led Debbie and I to the Lord, left to go get his master's degree, and the church asked me to be the pastor. I love the Bible because it also teaches me the truth of life. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth. I am life. So I was pastor for 12 years. I, I was in the Word. I preached many, many sermons. But something happened. I drifted. I lost my way. I developed an addiction. I became a news junkie. Now, most of us will say that news broadcasts are jaded and not totally reliable. Well, I'm old enough to remember the sign-off that went something like this. And that's the way it is. Friday, March 6th, 1981. It was Walter Cronkite, one of the most trusted names in news. And now if you were to listen to a similar sign-off, it would go something like this. And that, this is the way it is. I'd like you to believe that it is. July 9th, 2020. 
If I were to mention networks today, this morning, it would probably induce in us a really uncomfortable feeling, strong emotions. Many say that we what we believe depends on what network we listen to. And of course, there's always the internet. Uh, I, we say about the internet what we used to say about TV. Well, I know it's true because I saw it on the, on the internet, right? And of course, you can always listen to your friends, and most of us surround ourselves with those agree, who agree with us, so we just double down on what we already believe. And, and if that doesn't work, we can just ask ourselves, well, um, what, what do we believe? Uh, and it's, it's got to the point where we'll say even, well, that's my truth. So we filter our way through the daily events trying to discern what is real, what is right, or true by listening to these sources. But it most likely leads us to anxiety, fear, depression, and worst of all, hopelessness. Endlessly listening to these sources and hoping to feel better about life or my life is hopeless. Part of the answer to this hopelessness and helplessness is to heed the advice given to someone who got an obscene phone call. He said, yeah, I had this obscene phone call, and it lasted for an hour. You ever think maybe just hang that up? You ever think about just turning off that internet, turning off that TV? I engaged in seeking truth, and I confess finding hope in listening to those sources. What happened? I was then argumentative and self-important. I thought I knew the truth about politics and the country, and you didn't even need to ask me. I would just tell you. Well, we all engage in the question the pilot asked, what is truth? An American author and motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar, said, I read the paper every day, and the Bible every day. That way I know what both sides are up to. Here's why I love the Bible. Today's news talks about the battle. The Bible tells us who is one. I love the Bible because it is the truth about life. All around us is chaos. It's not so unlike the times of Jesus. In John 6, it tells us of Jesus feeding the 5,000, walking on water, proclaiming he was the bread of life. And people who were seeking the truth and hope, and yet they didn't understand. They grumbled because this was not going according to the news that they understood to be happening. And so... Uh, John 6, he says, after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I learned the truth of this. Where else was I going to go? I love the Bible also because it tells us about Jesus who is life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. 
I'm a slow learner, though. It's only been in the last few years that I stopped arguing. Uh, we just prayed for the one more. My one more is my neighbor. We couldn't be more different politically and culturally. And we, would, we wouldn't talk, we'd argue. But then I decided maybe I ought to do what Jesus said, and that is love my neighbor. So I said, what's the best way to love my neighbor? Listening to him. To just listen to him. Now, uh, for the most part, he, he, he still tries to bait me. And for the most part, I don't bite. But I can say this. Today, we're more than neighbors. We're friends. He's still very anti-God. But I pray for him. This is life. This is what's important. It's not the politics or social reforms, but reform in me is to have let God rule and reign in my life. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I can say, um, because of that turn in my life, I now, Debbie and I both, experience life abundantly because of what he's doing in us. But I remember what Jesus said before he said, you'll have life abundantly. He said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. It was in 1978 that the Gaither vocal band wrote and sang, I am loved. And it goes like this. I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. For the one who knows me best loves me most. I am loved, you are loved. Won't you please take my hand? We are free to love each other. We are loved. I love the Bible because it tells us about the truth of life. We have this caution. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. The Bible focuses on the way and the truth and the life. And that is Jesus. Jesus, the one who knows me best, loves me most. Now, you know this. I'm going to say this and maybe we'll say it together. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Can we say it? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. The one that knows us best loves us most. Do you have the first slide? Nope. Anyway, because we have, I'm Jim. I'm known as 11 o'clock Jim, so a lot of you are new to me. 
And I never was a preacher, um, but uh, I have the challenge of going second after somebody gives all of my thoughts already, you know. Thanks, Fred. <laughs> but anyway, this is for the kids. Oh, okay. Did you, did you guys learn this like I did? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. <laughs> Great, that's for all of you who are here and you'd rather be downstairs, but we're really glad you're here. So <laughs> anyway, the <clears throat> I have three points, Paul, so uh, they should be up there next. Oh, there they are. I love the Bible also because it's true. It's truth for me. And uh, you've already heard some really precious passages about the way, the truth, and the life. Um, it's absolutely stuffed full of promises for me. In uh, John 8.32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and it will, some translations say, set you free. But there's a little caveat there that says, if you continue in my word. So keep, keep, keep that in mind, too. Psalm 27 became an absolutely uh, life-changing experience for me. I was raised um, in a Christian home. I, I met Jesus um, face-to-face when I was 16 years old. And, um, and here I was now in a war, scared to death. I was a surgeon, not a soldier, but the same howitzers were humming over my head as theirs, and, uh, and, and I was fearful. And Psalm 27, um, I had in my bunk, I was uh, in a book, and it's, um, it's, he's my light and my salvation. He's the strength of my life. Whom should I be afraid? I think, hmm. Then it goes on and on about though an army encamp against me, et cetera, et cetera. And I decided at that moment, God gave me this um, truth, promise, um, ultimately that I'd be able to dwell in his house forever, so no matter what happened. But um, again, it was at that point that I decided that this Bible was either true or it wasn't. If it's not true to me, then it's not truth. And, uh, and, and, and I accepted uh, the scripture as truth. My mother's favorite was Psalm 91, and I can't read it because I only have a few minutes. Fred took too long. Uh, <laughs> it says, he, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It's chock full of promises. Go home and read Psalm 91, it's, it's good. There are a lot of verses in the Bible about God's hands and being held in his hands. Just Google it sometime. You, you can come up with 100 spots where it talks about it in the Bible. We had two missionaries from our church, um, they, a couple, they were farmers, and they wanted to go to Uganda and teach the, the farmers there how to double their um, production, and they had all this, a wonderful ministry. 
but uh, Al-Qaeda came through, and uh, this was the early days of Al-Qaeda in Africa, and they were killed. And so there was a big funeral at our church. It was kind of a national event because these uh, two people had died from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's where I lived. Um, <clears throat> anyway, afterward, uh, the, there were a lot of news r reporters there, and... Um, one of them came, our pastor was being interviewed, and he said, well, Stuart, where was your God when Warren and Donna Pett were killed? Oh, he said, I can't believe you don't understand that at the point of death, we are closest to God as he takes us with him in the palm of his hand. There are many uh, assurances in the Bible, and the promises are true, and we can trust them. It says in Psalm 119 that his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It really started for me with encounters with God. On a, it's a little booklet put out by a Scripture Union, and I got it for 40 years in a row. I still get it, but I don't use it as much because I just go into the word myself daily. But anyway, Encounters with God helps you um, march through the whole Bible over a period of a couple, three or four years, uh, but it also helps you understand the text. Um, I just encourage you, what, whatever it takes for you, um, get, get, into the, get into the Word of God. <clears throat> As a surgeon, I had the incredible opportunity to see God's most special creation, <laughs> up close uh, and personal. In Genesis 1.27, it says, so God created man in his own image. Now, you can study that for a while too. Physical, moral, spiritual, intellectual, there are a lot of things. Um, but Psalm 139 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And um, I am a up-close personal witness to that. But how does this affect uh, the way we look at our world of disenfranchised kids, immigrants, single moms, the homeless? The word, as we absorb it, uh, changes our life. Uh, Romans 8.15 says, we have received the spirit of adoption. Now think about that, because in the, in the Roman culture, um, it was uh, adoption far surpassed the love of your own blood children. And guess what? It says we are all adopted. Oh, so think on that for a little bit. It takes a little bit of um, explanation. I don't have time. Uh, secondly, the Bible is necessary. It's necessary for your life, for my life. Um, Psalm 119.11 says, um, I, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin. Uh, in 19.9, it says, how can a young person keep their way pure? And it's by following God's word. That whole psalm is worth looking at 176 verses and 176 times it refers to the word in different, uh, uh, different vocabulary, but all to the word. Um, 
It says in John 16 that we will have trials and tribulations. And it's been true. I can prove it. I'm, I'm going to be 80 next month. <laughs> it's true. It doesn't say if or we might. It, it says we will. So be ready. And this is the best way to get ready. He said, because guess what? I have overcome the world. Philippians 1.27 says, so whatever happens, stand firm. If you go through the short book, only four chapters, you find out that you're supposed to not only stand firm, you're supposed to be humble. Like Jesus, he even humbled himself unto death on the cross. And he says in the next uh, chapter, shine like stars. And the idea there is that we shine like stars so that Fred's neighbor can know Jesus, your friends and your family. Um, That's why we're supposed to shine like stars. And then it says, don't be anxious. Whoa, wait a minute. That that doesn't fit very well. We have a lot of things to be anxious about. And then finally at the end, uh, it, it says, have joy. My point in mentioning Philippians is there is so much food for our souls and for our lives. On, let me see, it was um, August 22nd, 1990. That'll be 33 years ago. <laughs> I was on my way uh, as a surgeon into the operating room for um, a three hour, 30 minute run on the heart lung machine, personally. I wasn't doing it, I was getting it. And uh, I, my, a dear friend of mine called from Carolina and, and said, I just had this in my study of the word today. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion. Oh, it's actually strength of my heart <laughs> and my portion forever. So the word is so practical is why it's also necessary. And we either believe it or we don't. The Bible teaches us also um, the basics of life. How about the Ten Commandments? But Jesus said, now wait a minute, the most important of these is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Whoa, wait a minute, neighbor as myself. That, that comes in, are we talking about how I love my neighbor or talking about how I love myself? Well, it's a lot easier to love myself when, um, when my sins are forgiven and, and I'm following uh, the instructions in this word. Um, Romans 10.9, it talks about salvation. It says, so the word is necessary for salvation, by the way. Um, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What I had heard my whole life uh, up until age 16 was that salvation is free. And I couldn't, I couldn't put that through to my brain. How could something so vital be free? And, and the truth is, <laughs> it isn't. Somebody had to pay the price for my sin. And, and that finally started making sense as I read The Cross of Christ, John Stott. <laughs> I recommend it. Paul has it down in his library, by the way, if you need it. Um, and, um, and also a little book by Paul Little. Know what you believe. If, I come, if, if your son comes to you and says, Dad, 
I was, I was wrong. I did. Uh, please forgive me. You don't say, oh, you are so bad. Go stand in the closet for 20 minutes. No. We have a Savior that not only gave his life for us, um, he loves us. And um, I, I finally was able to grasp the whole idea that my sins were paid for. But that comes from a study of the word. John 3.16 confirms it. We all know that passage. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Oh, and by the way, it's a great marriage manual, and I don't have time for that. Um, <laughs> but it's 55 years last month. So anyway, it, it's been a good marriage manual for us. I'll, I'll just tell you the the main passage the first year in our marriage from the marriage manual was, um, I think it's Ephesians 4, 26. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And, and that really helps in a marriage get things going, yeah, to get things settled before you sleep at night. But that comes straight from the, the manual right here. And the last point, and I'll be very brief, but it's all connected. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God. John 1 says, in the beginning. <laughs> then it talks about the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Think, think about it for just a minute. What do words do? What do teachers use them for? What does Paul use them for when he's uh, teaching us? It describes, it, uh, it gives us... Uh, uh, exposure, explanation, um, definition. The word was with God and the word was God. It goes just a little bit further down and we have the, what I call the Christmas story in the 14th verse and it says, and the word became flesh and walked among us. So the word was Jesus and yes, he came to show us in personal way, what God was about. So I, I love the word because it's so clear to me that it all fits together. There's a little book called The Bible Code. I have a copy out in my truck. I, you can look at it if you want. I, I, I love this little book because it has, it's simple and it's a, it has a description of Jesus in every book in the Bible. And it's written by a guy, um, I think his name is Hawkins. He has more theological degrees and the thermometer, and, um, and he shows Jesus in every book in the Bible. And I love the one in Genesis 22 when he talks about Abraham um, received God's promise that he was going to be the father of many nations and people were going to be more numerous than the stars of the heavens. And, uh, and then <laughs> he said, wait a minute, God, Sarah's 90 years old. She's like, that's at least 30 to 35 years Beyond menopause, I, I know I'm a doctor. So, <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, miraculously, um, she she had Isaac, and and then you all know the story, um, Abraham and Isaac and Sarah, they had this message from God that Abe was supposed to go up and sacrifice Isaac, and uh, so up. Mount Moriah, they went. Um, he, he tied Isaac literally to the altar and had the knife over his head when the uh, angel, well, there was actually, it says they were alone, Isaac 
um, and his dad, Abe. And if you, if you think about that a little bit, there was a time when Jesus was on the cross and everything went dark for three hours. So there, there are a lot of similarities here. But anyway, Abraham had his knife up and the angel said, stop, uh, there's a lamb caught, a ram caught in the, uh, the bush over there. And um, then, you know, Abraham had the opportunity to offer the lamb and free Isaac and bring him down. You can further read about this in Romans 11 and in Hebrews 8. Uh, It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Um, He offered up his only begotten son. Um, And if you look carefully at this story, Isaac, the little guy, actually carried the wood for his sacrificing on the altar up the mountain himself. Guess who else carried the wood by himself? up to, the, um, to, be, to be offered as a sacrifice for us. There's so many similarities in this story, but if you can't see Jesus in that, in that uh, uh, chapter 22 of uh, Genesis, there are uh, 65 other places to see it in, the, in this little book, and, and they're all brief. I love God's word because this book is focused on you and I becoming more like Jesus At times, it's uncomfortable and challenging. In fact, Mark Twain said, it's not the things about the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. (laughs) I kind of like that. I don't think he's a theologian, though, is he, Paul? It points us toward a a full Christian life, salvation, then on to sanctification, all these fancy words, and on to your vocation. Um, And then finishing up strong... uh, by what we call glorification, or when we go to heaven. And, th- and that's when we're going to be surrounded by multitudes of people that will shock and surprise us. I love the Bible because it makes us reevaluate our biases, our prejudices, and beliefs. Yes, and our politics, right, Fred? And uh, values. And it's real and alive. Yes, that's why it's called the living word of God. Our motto at our house is don't put your head on the pillow till you've had your nose in the word. And we practice that. Don't forget Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. We've proved it time after time in Bible studies with non-believers. You can do it too. And 2 Corinthians 4, 3, I'll end with this. If our gospel is hid, it is hid to those who are lost. So there's a reason why we have this word in our heart. It's not just for us. It's for our neighbors, too. Thank you. Hi, I'm Mark Mullen, and my wife Nan and I send you greetings from the 11 o'clock service. (laughs) So it's nice to be here and look out at all your faces. Um, I don't know about you, but this rotation, to me, feels more like speed dating than it does a tag team, so. um, But at this point, I've been generously granted about one and a half minutes, so. So we'll go over. There's more color crayons in the narthex if you need them. 
Okay. Friend Jim, thank you for sharing, especially so powerfully with us this morning. I really appreciate your hearts. Uh, and I also want to share one big reason I love God's Word, and that's because His Word loves me. And that seems a little counterintuitive. So what do I mean by that? My job is a, a, as a crisis communication consultant, which basically doesn't help you in your marriage, but helps your stock price. Um, but a lot of time when I'm doing my work, I need to remind my clients of the bigger picture, because what happens is we get lost in the details. We get lost and we forget why we do what we do. The big picture isn't just important for my clients, so it's important for all of us that we remember the big picture. And that's what I want to talk about today. So Dan and I have been married for 47 years, and we've tried to read through the Bible every year. And um, we usually get pretty close to doing that throughout the course of the year. It means a certain amount of verses every day. And we get pretty close to it, but as we increasingly become practiced scripture readers, we're beginning to get familiar with the broad sweep of scripture and what it means to us. So there's nothing like endurance and duration to help you understand more. But it's easy to get caught up in keeping up. It's too easy to start saying we've got to catch up today so we have three days worth of reading and so on. And it's easy to end up being so busy working your way through the difficult passages or running out of time and focusing to get back up that you forget to see how God's word is impacting you. And I think that happens to all of us. So it's good to remember why we're even trying. And let's talk more about the big picture. So let me ask you this. If you could write a life letter, the story of your life, what would you put in it? And some of you have done this. I know my, our kids gave us books we're supposed to write in so they know us after we're dead. Um, and that's no incentive to start writing in that book. But if you could write a life letter, the story of your life, what would you tell your family? What would you tell your friends or your acquaintances? Would you tell them what's most important to you and why you've done what you've done? Would you tell them what you love in them and what you want the most for them? Or would you offer special advice or counsel based on what you know that they don't? Now on the flip side, what would you think if you got a life letter from somebody how would it make you feel? How would it make you feel that they thought so much and cared so much for you that they would write to you? How many times would you open that letter to, to read it? How worn would the pages become as you read and reread them? How many times would you share something from it with family or friends? And how much would you treasure having it and the memories that it revealed? And that's the big picture. We have this perfect living life letter. We have God's word. Even as we've heard from Fred and Jim this morning about different reasons to love his word, let's remember that the one who loves us the most, the one with the power to save, has lovingly inspired, protected, and revealed his word to us. We have his word, and it's his life letter to us. What do we know? What are some of the basic things we know because of that? We know that he loves us more than we could love him. He's given us salvation through his son so we can be restored to him, and he did that while we were sinners. So how much does he love us? 
He's given us his Holy Spirit so we can comprehend his word and we can even have the power to obey. And then he's given us his word itself so we can know him. He's revealed his person and his will in his word. As it says in Micah 6, 8, he has told us what is good and what the Lord requires of us to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. So we have God's life letter to us. And how does it love us? I just want to look at two verses. Uh, the first one is Romans 16, verses 25 to 27. And this, this, this passage shows us that God's word is complete. We have this complete revealed word. And, and Romans 16, 25 to 27 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus. Amen. That was Paul's doxology. It was his last words to the believers in Rome just as we do doxology at the end of the services was Paul's. It's a little longer than the one we do, but Paul was like that. So in this passage, how has God given us his word? So Paul writes and says, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul's inspired words as he literally built the church, and Christ's words as shared by the apostles have been given to us. We have it. Paul then talks about the revelation of the mystery, those prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. God's words reveal his plan, now proven through Christ's sacrifice, and still promised for Christ's return. And all this is granted by God's command, words to bring about, as he says, the obedience of our faith. So we have Christ, we have the prophets, we have the apostles. God's word is complete. His life letter is complete. And it's purposeful to bring about our faith and our salvation. And the second reason, it's sufficient. It's all we need. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So in this verse, I'm going to take it apart a little bit, three points. First of all is, what does profitable mean? Paul says, Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. What does profitable mean in this context? And I looked at my footnotes because that's the first place you go if you don't understand the Bible. And it says profitable could be translated useful. It's useful because it was breathed out by God and it's useful because it holds its truth and its power. I think it means a little more than that. I wasn't just really satisfied with useful. but um, So I went to the dictionary. Because if you can't find it in the commentaries, you can find it in the dictionary. And Webster Dictionary says profitable means yielding advantageous results or returns. In other words, you have a profitable meeting. Something came out of it. You have a profitable conversation. You have a profitable investment. All those are, you're, you're getting back more than you put in and you're, you're, you're getting returns that are positive. I like to use that for this. It's, it's profitable. It's not just useful. It's more than we think it will be. 
And then what's it profitable for? And parents, you'll all understand this. Um, Paul refers to teaching, to reproof, to correction, and for training in righteousness. I like to look at it as, as parents to children, so it's profitable for teaching. We can know God's will. And to a parent, that's, here's what you need to know. Um, it's profitable for reproof. We can be challenged to do God's will instead of our own. To a parent, it's, don't do that. See how great we are reproving? Don't do that. And then for correction and for training in righteousness, we can be helped to understand how we should live. And to a parent, that's do this instead. I, I had to learn as a child, you don't put all the dinner dishes on an aluminum cookie sheet to carry to the kitchen because the cookie sheet goes in two directions and the dishes go in many directions. Um, and then there's a promise in this verse, these two verses. The promise is the word that. How is that a promise? It's, be, it's a promise because it links what God's word is to the man of God. So it says, these, these will happen that the man of God may be complete. So we can be complete because we can know the truth and we can walk in obedience to God. And we can be equipped for every good work. We can know and do God's will. So God gives us his complete word. And we have in, in 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul refers to the sacred writings, and we have that. We have the words in his word that are available to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So God has given us this perfect, loving letter of life. And I think it's really good to stop and think before we figure out a schedule of reading or before we decide which part of a passage we're going to take apart and study, we need to stop and realize God loves us. He loves us enough to send his son. He loves us enough to give us his word. And his word loves us because it is profitable for us. It is for us. So this is the big picture we need to remember. God loves us through his word. I'd like to pray briefly and then Paul come up. Father, we thank you that since your word loves us, we can love you. And we ask that you would teach us to love your word. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Can we, all glory goes to God, but can you just give those three men some love for a minute? It's not an easy thing to do. Um, I felt like earlier I was so jumbled and out of sorts, uh, just some different stuff I was juggling this morning that I forgot to do something. A, I was going to pray for you guys, so we'll make sure and do that the next service. B, I was going to tell you why I love these men. Uh, they told you why they love the Bible and why we should, but here's why I love these men. Um, they are wise, they're humble, they love their families, not perfectly, but they love them well. They love you, they love the church, they love Jesus. They're just godly men. There's, there's those people in life that you occasionally around and you can look at them and say, if I can grow up to be like that person or those people, success. And each of these three men are those kind of people. And here's what they would tell you, though, is the way they became those kind of men is by God's grace and God's power through consistent lifelong reading of this book. And, and it really reflects what we find in this book. I, I thought of Psalm 19, and it talks about some different things that the Word of God does. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It's more to be desired than gold, and it's sweeter 
than honey. And so these men, in my opinion, are just living examples of what happens when slowly but surely, consistently, you're in God's Word. But they're an example of something, though, that God's Word points us to. Because we didn't want you to come out of this morning just thinking, okay, i got to go read the Bible more and do more. But actually, the Bible points to something more than that. Also in Psalm 19, it says, in keeping God's Word, there is great reward. Well, here's what I find out, though, is in God's Word, I can't keep it all the time or perfectly. And because of that, that's why we need grace. And what you heard in their, like, in their preaching was stories or references to when Jesus saved them. Because they're not here solely because they read the Bible. They're here ultimately because the God of the Bible points to Jesus through his word. Um, I was uh, just uh, yesterday reading in John, uh, finishing up the book of John. And here's what it says in John 20. These things are written in God's word so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's what I want you to know as we're about to transition into communion is, yes, by all means, I want you to love the Bible and read it and get in it. But what I also want you to know is the Bible's clear message is that we can't always keep this, which is why Jesus came and he kept this word, the Bible, perfectly in every way that you and I have failed. And then he went to the cross and died for us for every time we have failed. And that is why those men are here. And that's why we're here today is because of Jesus and his work. So, yes, let's love the Bible, but then also let's love the Jesus that the Bible points to.